coming up on the As One Leadership Podcast. Nearly every youth group does a relationship and sexuality, you know, series at some point where they, you know, talk about the taboo topics of of those things. But nearly all of that is oriented around waiting for or being ready for or prepared for marriage. And I think we set our young people up for a lot of um, pressure or hurt or heartache or even failure, we're not setting them up to win when we are preparing them for marriage rather than helping them live their current season. Welcome to the As One Leadership Podcast. Today we've got a bonus episode with Kimberly Smith. We were going to do one podcast with her, but she had so much good stuff to say. Um, we want to really delve into the issue of singleness with her today. So we've got her back. And so Kim, thanks a lot for joining us again. No worries. There's never any shortage of things for Kimberly to say. So that's good. I'm well, glad so it's much of use to someone else. Yeah. Well, we hope it is. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. That's the point. If no one else has been good for me. <laughs> that's so. right. Good to catch up. Um, so today we're going to talk about um, singleness. You are kind of a leading voice in this space and um, it's a really, I guess, big issue for churches. Um, I think sometimes, you know, in our precast conversation, we were just talking about some of the things that are helpful or unhelpful and, and how a lot of people are just ignorant mm-hmm. to how people who are single feel around certain conversations or practices. And I think I realized in that conversation that I'm a bit ignorant at times <laughs> as well. So uh, I want to give you complete permission in this episode. If I say anything that's unhelpful, just pull me up and say, <laughs> Luke, don't say that because uh, if I'm learning and I think it'll be helpful for other people as well. So that'd be really good. So you talk about this topic a lot and you're very passionate about it. Mm. And so usually um, if that's the case, there's a story. So I thought it'd be good for our listeners to hear uh, a bit of your story. What's brought you to be so passionate about caring for those who are single? Mm, Well, I mean, just right up front, this is not my preferred you know, future. This is not, not like as a child, I didn't dream that one day I would be the advocate for singleness, that I would be so single yes. that I would be the expert at, at single. Yep. And so I, I mean, even just day to day, week to week, month to month, I'm kind of a reluctant voice in this space, although um, just recognizing that I'm positioned for it. And so trying to maximize that. But, um, but yes, I am so single, I wrote a book about it. So like, you know, the layers of singleness, like I'm probably the top. So right. um, I think it does make me an expert again, which is, it's an interesting thing to be. Um, but yes, I was married when I was younger um, and we were married for eight years and it was a fairly um, very dysfunctional kind of and ultimately quite destructive for me uh, relationship, which as I say, ended after eight years. And in that time, um, a lot of challenges and difficulty and trauma and, and things that I was processing in that we, we lost a baby through miscarriage as part of that. And so I found myself at, you know, my late twenties and I like literally thought, I'm done. Like I've failed at everything I wanted most in my life, which was just wife and motherhood. That was my sort of main goal. And, and here I am like, without that, what does that look like for me? But God, you know, did an incredible healing work in me. And the the reality is we know that he hates divorce. He's actually quoted as saying, I hate divorce. And I mean, so do I, like there doesn't matter how good a marriage or how bad, sorry, a marriage was, Mm -hmm. divorce is never good. And it doesn't matter, you know, how necessary it might be, or um, it just is, you can't take you know, two things that have been joined together and then rip them apart and it not have some consequences. So I lived and do live in the the fallout of that, but God is just so gracious in his healing and, and his goodness. And, um, and I got called into vocational ministry right on the back of that, which was sort of 
unusual, you know, mm. and, and unexpected. It was hard too, I imagine. Yeah, and it was way. sort of this weird like now and what? And other people were asking the same question. But uh, it, it has been an incredible part of my healing. It's just so redemptive, you know, God, just the way that he keeps turning as we, um, you know, know from the Joseph story, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. And it, he just does keep accomplishing so many good things through it. But um, so I found myself in vocational ministry. I'm on, on a leadership team in a local church and I am single. So we're, our things, our life, our ministry, our models, everything is just flavored by that. But there was, there came a sort of growing sense of that being a bit unique. <laughs> and, um, cause the reality for most churches is they're led by married people. And, you know, if, if you're like a proper Christian, you probably got married like super young. That's like a, That's a, written down, isn't yeah, it? By think, 20, yeah. 21, uh, then start you're to on, panic if you're 22, <laughs> that kind of thing. What is yeah. wrong with yeah. you, 23-year-old <laughs> single person? No, we jest. <laughs> but, um, the, yeah, the, the reality is that most Christian leaders or most churches are led by leaders who don't have any, if much experience as an adult Christian person. So they're married, potentially children. And so that it flavors how church culture is shaped. And what we found is because I was in the senior leadership of our church, it got flavored a slightly different way, but it started to challenge a few things that um, that we might have otherwise defaulted to. Because church is a very family dominated um, environment, which it ought to be. You know, we should be people who are championing healthy marriages, you know, great parenting and family dynamic. And um, I think it's it's a call on us to do those relationships well because by this love, yeah, others will know that you're yeah. my disciples. Yeah. And and so I think, you know, yes, churches should be that. And also we use that, the language of family because you're drawn into God's family. And so there's a, a lot of stuff that's happening there that um, for me just caused the question though, like what for the single person who's trying to navigate that space? What does it look like to be them? Who are and, a valuable part of the family. Yeah. And who are increasingly present in those families, you know, in the, those communities. Um, what does it look like for them? Because they are unlikely to have a voice at the senior leadership table, you know, as was our case. And and so that that led me to explore writing the book and, and sort of putting some of those ideas together. Um, but so I think the passion for me is recognising um, as I say, sometimes reluctantly, but recognizing not every other church has someone in that senior leadership space who's helping them think that way. Mm. And so um, my goal with writing the book, with blogs, with talking is always just to keep sparking that conversation to to think about what what do we not know? You know, like what do we not see because of, of our our bias, you know, our natural sort of filter that we're looking through? Yeah, well, I think the voice you lack is the place you often become ignorant. And so whatever issue it is, if you don't have a voice in that space, you right. become Any an diversity, yeah. ignorant community um, yep. in that area. Mm. And I mean ignorant in the in the good sense, yep. not you deliberately being yes. ignorant, but you're just missing. Unaware. Um, yeah. We don't know what we don't know. And, yeah, mm. that's right. So so it'd be good just to clarify. We want to be kind of raw on, the, <laughs> on this program. There. There's <laughs> awkward questions to ask, but um, do you have a desire to remarry one day, have a family, or do you feel called to a life of ministry as a single? Because both of those are valid. And I think the assumption that we make, and we'll talk about assumptions in a minute, but the assumption that people often make is that everyone wants to get married. Everyone wants to have a family. It's like the panacea, you know, you, you grow up and you start role. dreaming about your wedding and particularly young girls, you know, the wedding dress and all that, but it's not always the case. Mm, um, yeah. So what is it for you? Yeah, well, for me, it's, um, as you say, it's an interesting thing to see. Let's blurt this out there. Hello, everybody. I am single <laughs> and I don't want to be single. Uh, so, no, I don't want to be single. It's not my preferred. I 
often say I'm living a very different version of my life than I expected to be living and um and I would still desire that that I would you know that marriage would be part of my story going forward um but the thing I understand about my situation is that right now I am not married so that means I am single so so I am single in this season you know and and I guess um I mean Paul talks about um singleness and we we often manipulate that or I don't know translate that to to be talking about the gift of singleness and then we we look at it like a thing that you know you either have it or you don't you know and so then um, which is a very unhelpful way of looking at it because it as you say some people may have chosen that or may have a sense that this is not for them but if they're having to explore have I got this gift that I didn't want or not like it's a weird question to have to ask and so but for me I understand the gift of God or the grace of God on my life is only for however long it's on my life in whatever way or shape or form that takes um that so right now because I am single then God's giftedness or his grace on my life is singleness so I have the gift of singleness today and at this stage I mean who knows how today pans out but tomorrow I'm probably still going to be single so yeah this this is a short-term thing I can I can guarantee but I don't know anything into the future and so um, I I don't find it particularly helpful to have to decide that as a long-term decision and but when you think about it too like marriage is not forever either like and that's not a prophet of doom that's the reality that unless you're from some romance novel and you die of old age <laughs> together holding hands sleeping bed like Noah and Ali you know from yeah, the notebook Romeo and Juliet. Yeah, yeah that's right you one will die before the other and you know that like this is it's but we think things are more permanent than they are and so we're looking to name that permanency and so I, th- I think um it's not necessarily a helpful conversation for singles to be in or to even be processing, is this forever? Because the question is, is it for now? And yes, it is. Then this is this is the lens I'm looking at life through. This is how God's graced me. So something about what I'm doing now is where he wants me to be and how he's going to use me for the next season. Yes, I mean, the grace of God in that season is probably better language than the gift because mm. for a lot of people it doesn't feel like a gift. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they've you know, had a breakdown or they've lost their husband or wife or they just desire someone, they haven't found someone, so it doesn't feel like a gift yeah. in that place. <laughs> I often say, if this is the gift, like, is there a place I can yeah. exchange it? Yeah, <laughs> like, I don't want another pair of socks <laughs> yeah, at Christmas. Right. Yeah, Give me a voucher, different. I'll buy my own yeah. gift, it's fine. <laughs> that's right. So, yeah, I think it's good to talk about the language because, you know, I got married, I'm one of those Christians, got married, I just turned 21, my wife had just turned 20, we got married, we've been married 20 years in a few weeks, which is wow, which is an awesome gift, yeah, you know, amazing. and I, we rejoice in that, but with that becomes an ignorance because you've never really known adult Christian life as a single. Um, so, so there is a challenge for people like me and so many others to think more broadly about how we communicate, what we do, what programs we run, what's helpful, what's not helpful. So, so that's really good. Um, and I think the point you made before about, you know, we often think of singles in churches, you know, those young people that they're looking for someone and they've just you know, got to that crisis point of 24 and they haven't found someone that's a single. Yeah. But there are so many in the church and increasingly so single again people. So a lot of people have gone through divorce. Um, a lot of people, older people particularly, but not always older, have been widowed and, you know, all of a sudden they've they've really enjoyed life as a married person, but now they find themselves back in the same environment without their partner and I think it's very hard for people to know how to actually care for them mm. well and what things are going to be helpful in their grief and what things are just going to yeah. make them even more grieving more. So, yeah. 
So I think, yeah, it's good things to think about for sure. So we talked a little bit about the assumptions um, that people make that yeah, everyone wants to be married. What other assumptions do you think people make about people, particularly who've been single long term? Well, I guess the old, I mean, the assumptions are so um, diverse and almost contradictory because there's other people who might assume that if you are single, it's because you want to be single, like, mm-hmm. and not because you're living an alternate version of your future. You know, that mm-hmm. particularly as you get older, that because if you are living as a single person, you end up having to do that in a certain way. And so then it looks like you're living a life that doesn't want to be married, mm-hmm. but it's only that you're living it because you're not married. You know, it's a bit of a challenge. So there can be assumption that people don't want to be married. Um, There can be some really unhelpful assumptions around um, people as they get older as single people, as you said. Like I think within church community, you know, young adulthood, and and that's stretching a little bit, I think, even in faith community that, you know, up into your sort of late 20s, there's still a place for you to belong in a ministry that's oriented around single people, you know, or where married and single are sort of coexisting or coupled and single. But as you get a little bit older, there's, um, there's yeah, some difficult transition. But there, I've heard people who've experienced the assumption that because you're not married, there's a, a level of immaturity even different than your age, you yeah, know, so okay, that yep. you, a 30-year-old married person and a 30-year-old single person, the married person will be more mature, mm. more capable, more able, more something because something of being married Silver bullet turns them into a something special yeah, or right. um, yeah. I don't know whether it's because if you can do marriage, you can do anything. I don't know what, <laughs> what, what we're trying to com- communicate to these um, people. But I hear it, the stories of individuals who say, you know, that they, they feel overlooked for leadership or for ministry roles or for engagement in things because there's a sense that they're younger because they're a single person, you know, we'll have a, a barbecue and, you know, some 30 year old lady, you can just bring a bag of chips, you know, as if you, cause you wouldn't be able to cook a cheesecake. Cause you know, you're not a mum or something, you know, like there's sort of these, all these weird inferences yeah, that yep. layer themselves into our assumptions and, and the way we perceive things. And so I think, yeah, there's um, stories around that. I think the assumption for single people about their own singleness, that's another layer mm-hmm. that's there. But I think one of the most damaging ones is the assumption that there must be something wrong with me if I'm single. Um, oh, man, that has just broken some people and mm-hmm. and is such an unnecessary burden but people consider it and because sometimes the way we ask other people that implies it it's like Mm. I mean like why are you single like what's wrong with you like what's the big deal you know do we not know something about you that Yep. That clearly is preventing you from being married. You know, yeah, that, you so tick all the boxes. You should yeah, be married. Yeah, you look all right. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, you're about the right age you and you're breathing. Right. And, you don't seem too strange. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, and so I think that actually feeds for an individual, though, for the single person, that an act a fear that maybe there is something wrong with me. I mean, if you listen to any of the promotions for these online, you know, these TV shows and marriage and dating kind of shows, often that narrative comes out, you know, I, I just keep wondering what, is there something wrong with me? Well, what's wrong with me? Why have I been yeah. overlooked? I think that the assumption that singleness is about being like deficient or somehow mm. less than yep. or less worthy of or something, I think that's an assumption that can be very un very, very unhelpful and very hurtful for the single person Mm. to carry and a language that we sometimes perpetuate 
around them that's really unhealthy. Yeah, so it's a two-sided coin. It's the way singles feel about themselves, yeah. what's wrong with me, but then it's the things that's projected onto them. Yeah. So I've heard people say, oh, they're not, they're not married because they're too picky or they're married to their job or um, they've become too used yeah. to being independent. Yeah. Or, or she's she's really strong and she wouldn't be able, you know, yeah. take a tough guy yeah, to strong wrangle yeah. her. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, <laughs> and a lot of the times those things are just completely false. And, you know, I've known people that have been single long-term and they've uh, both been in a church yeah. together and then, you know, seven or eight years together and then all of a sudden, oh, yeah, you're here. <laughs> I you're saw sick. you. Oh, yeah. okay, you're <laughs> yeah. all right. And, and then they get married and so it shows that there was nothing deficient about no. them. It was just a sense of God's timing, timing and, mm. um, and sometimes there's not the right person, you haven't met the person. And, and I think the other thing that happens sometimes is that um, people just, they panic and they just grab anyone and then obviously that doesn't end up well mm. either. So, no. you know, no. yeah. But we inadvertently um, speak into that panic a little bit, I think. And uh, I was meeting a, a guy like, you know, um, through in a ministry space, but I just sort of asked him to tell me about his family, an older guy. And he said, oh, I've got three children, you know, three adult children, one's married, got two to go. Mm-hmm. Like, so the inference straight away there is the goal of me as a parent is that all three of my children will be married. I'd never and say that. Yeah, never. That's right. You're writing these things down. <laughs> no, I, mean, God, I wrote them down the other day. I'm feeling very convicted. But, I mean, that might be your hope for your children, but I don't know that we would talk about that in any, any other context. Like, you know, I've got three children, one's a doctor, two to go. Like we're waiting for them to discover who they're going to be, aren't we? We're, you know, we're just wanting them to find their way in life, which may or may not include getting married and, and, well, it, someone has to keep getting married and having kids. Like that's how the word world goes on. Like I see that as the, it is the natural kind of narrative and it is yep. the goal and it is the the story and whatever for, for the majority. But I think how we um, keep, yeah, as I say, perpetuating that um, can be really unhelpful because then there can be a sense that people are growing into where one of the best things I can do is get married. You know, one of the the best contributions I can make to my the pride of my father is to to get married. And as you say, it can shift then where marriage sits and and what we're willing to accept about that, or or how urgent it becomes, or how um, how all pervasive it, the search for that becomes, and it becomes the main thing. Whereas I and I mean, it's it is the main thing for people who are married. <laughs> like when, because it is a very significant relationship. It's a, a very shaping relationship for married people. But if you're not married, it's not the most significant thing. Mm. And and I don't know that we let that be part of the conversation. Yeah, yeah. So I think yeah, you, know, you go back to the Garden of Eden, and, and God says to Adam and Eve, "Be fruitful and multiply." And so we and read it's not it as right a, for man to be alone, and there's yeah, all those sorts yep. of things. Yeah. And so we read it as okay, so everyone's got to get together, have babies, and, and multiply. I think there's more to that. Yeah. You know, we can be fruitful and multiply in other ways. It's true. You know, using our gifts and stuff mm. like that. So I think um, for a single, just to think, well, if I'm not doing that, then you know, what use am I is a faulty way of seeing it. I think there's so much that that people can offer. So you've alluded to already the Apostle Paul talking about singleness Mm -hmm. and um, some advantages of Mm. that. And so what do you think are some of the advantages of being single, even if it's not something you desire forever? And also um, what's it like for you on your best days as a single person? Yeah, yeah. Well, and there are definite upsides to being single. And in my case, you know, um, that includes being uh, childless so that you know it is single in a solo kind of way because there's also single people who have family in a different expression but um but I, I mean 
there's a whole lot, like, I love to travel. I love to, the independence of making decisions, you know, just what will I do now? And I can just do it. You know, there's not the con- consultation. Um, there's all these sort of superficial things about, um, about my ability to make decisions for myself and, and go like chart my own path and not really have to, you know, consult too much on that. Um, but in the bigger picture sense, and probably the thing that matters most and that I, that I would celebrate about my singleness and the season that it's been is that it's released me for a type of ministry that that I just would not have been able to do as a married person. Like I recognize that. And, and it's not to say that that makes it better or worse, but for me, there's a, there's a type of ministry. A, a way that I've engaged in kingdom work and a way that I've been able to invest into various relationships and places that that would not have been the same had I been married. And so that's something that I celebrate in mm. that. Um, it's a blessing of a season, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is. And, and you know, I get so much um, personal pleasure, but also this sort of great sense of being on board with God's kingdom work and seeing, you know, just great things happen because I'm in places that I'm able to, you know, because I'm doing this and and talking to people and writing books and whatever else it is, mm-hmm. but it but a lot of that is is released by the the stage of life that I'm in, you know, and, and not having a family to consider in those spaces. Mm. One thing I've noticed in life and in ministry is often the the experiences you have, um, both good and bad, can become places of profound ministry to others mm. who are going through similar things. So um, I don't want to assume for, for single people it's like that for them, but from what I've seen with you, you know, writing books and blogs and talking to people about this issue, it is one of those spaces that you've found, okay, I've had my own struggles and trials and good days and bad days, but now I can invest into other people that are going through it. Yeah, yeah, and it's a perspective and an understanding. One of the most common points of feedback I get after I speak like this or write something is, ah, that's exactly what I was thinking but I didn't know how to say it or I didn't know that other people experience that, you know, this is really a validated something of my experience, which is, I love that, you know, I, and if, um, even though I don't want to be living it, if, if I can live it and reflect on it in a way that actually helps other people, well, then that's, that's a win out of, that's making, you know, turning what was meant for evil to good, not that singleness is evil, but you know, that this experience of it for me has not been my preference, but it certainly has been something God's used. Mm, I think it's one of the lies of the devil, isn't it? That, you know, I'm the only one who feels this. Yeah. I'm the only one that's going through it. Yeah. No one else no understand. one understands. Yeah. yeah. And I think yeah. where you're a real gift to people in the single space is that you're articulate and you think through that stuff well, and you've processed it over a period of time mm. in a way that the thoughts you share actually help them to put words to it and and to know that there is someone out there that actually understands what they're going through, which is really good. So you have good days and there's Mm -hmm. blessings. Mm -hmm. um, And being a podcast, we want to be raw and honest. Um, Both single people and people in relationship have insecurities. We all have those. And um, I think it's better for all of us to be honest about those and to to journey with them. So for you, um, do you think there's particular insecurities um, for people who are single long term? And, mm-hmm. and for you personally, you've, have you had some of those? And mm-hmm. what are some of those questions that maybe you've asked yourself that have been healthy or unhealthy at times? Mm-hmm. Um, and we've spoke, spoken about what singleness is like on good days. Mm-hmm. What's it look like on a bad day? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty messy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, complete transparency. It's messy. Um, I think, yeah, the vulnerability for me or the the 
the deepest sort of struggle or grief, I guess I process in that is that I do feel lonely. And so, um, I mean, I'm a highly relational person, very connected. I've got great friendship networks, family, you know, I'm involved, busy, all those sorts of things, but there's a, there's a loneliness that, that sits underneath all of that fairly constantly, you know, that you're sort of wrestling out of all the time. And, um, and I think probably the deeper, um, reality of that is not just being feeling lonely, but it's actually feeling a lack of belonging. And um, and I think that is just so key for other single people as well. But that's definitely my experience is it's just always the question of where do I fit in and who's going to to see me, who's going to remember me, who's going to know me, where are the places that I get to be authentically myself and still welcome, you know, where, um, where is the, where are those places of intimacy, you know, of being fully known and fully loved. Um, and so from, yeah, there's a lot of hurt and there's a lot of grief that I experience just on the regular in that sense, because it, it doesn't go away even when I'm hanging out with somebody else, because then you still remove yourself from that and go back to this place of, of greater isolation or, mm-hmm. um, or, you know, otherness. And so, um, that's been a, a challenge for me. I mean, I've had to wrestle with everything that every single person does. And when you do kind of go, I wonder what was wrong with me or, you know, is wrong with me or where there, there is a sense of feeling like you're missing out on an awful lot. Um, mm-hmm. and so, yeah, there, there can be some pretty messy, messy days in amongst yeah. all of that. And, and it comes in cycles because of different stages of my life. So um, heading now into the season that I am, um, it's added to the understanding that now, even if I were to be married, I'm not going to be having my own you know, biological children, like, and having to sort of grieve that part mm-hmm. as well. But you grieve it at different stages too, that, you know, as a in my early thirties, you're like, okay, now if I have children now, and then you add that up, that means I'm going to be this old when they do this, you know, you're doing all those calculations and then you move past that stage and say, well, that's not going to be my life. Mm. I've got, I've got to let go of that idea. You know, I've got to grieve that. And so the grief comes as the new revelation of what it is to, there is to be grieved, um, comes. And so, um, yeah, it can be pretty challenging to to process that and I've I feel for other people in that space because as you say I've done a lot of thinking about this mm-hmm. and I, I my self-awareness in some aspects is is quite heightened around these things and so I know what I'm like I'm kind of diagnosing myself as I'm experiencing <laughs> those things and yeah. what would I say to someone else who's experiencing these things but but there's a lot of people who do the loneliness in loneliness you know mm. that they're so they're not hearing other people speak into that they're not having it validated they're not having that me too you know I've experienced this or it's not just you kind of um thing and so that's that's the the motivator to keep writing and talking and mm. keep being okay with being the face of singleness, you know, when, when it's not my preference, because there's so many people out there who are just needing little glimpses of connectedness to draw them into a place of better self-awareness and, and in a capacity maybe to process that in a really a much more healthy way. Mm. I guess there's triggers. I mean, life goes on all around you. And so you've got younger friends that have kids or yeah relatives or whatever so I, I guess it weddings, would be hard yeah, yeah weddings yeah engagements all the things and probably all the dumb comments that come at those places yeah, you yeah. Know, oh your turn <laughs> yeah. next and yeah. all that sort of stuff that yeah. I guess in ignorance again yeah. people think they're you know being yeah. funny or yeah. breaking the ice but they're just being yeah. really unhelpful and I mean and it's just like I recognize it's a bit of a um a minefield you know that different people will respond to different comments or or um ways of interacting in different ways because I think 
um, like I appreciate I have a number of different friends and, and people over the journey that will connect with me. So there's a wedding and there's a, just a message that comes in thinking of you today. You know, you're like, okay, that, that's been acknowledged. Now I'm, I'm okay, you know, in that space. But somebody else might find that quiet. Like, why would you assume that, you know, just because I'm not married doesn't mean anything. Mm, <laughs> like, yeah. And there's a defensiveness to that. So yep. I, I recognize that because of how sensitive those things are because of how closely held they are it's very easy to get it wrong mm. because there, there can be a very thin line and it could be a moving line like it's it's a quite a challenging yeah. um, yep. obstacle course to navigate but so th- I think there's a grace um to, like and I I experience that more and more the more I sort of have these conversations and recognize that people aren't having these conversations it's like well that makes sense that you're saying dumb things because you've never had someone challenge you on how dumb that dumb thing is. Yeah. You know? You've <laughs> sure. never heard of another way to You're say that. You don't know it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah <that's right. laughs> so let me so, tell you. So, yeah. Let me tell you how dumb you are, but I, I forgive you for your dumbness. Yep. But um, I, yeah, there, it is, it's quite the, um, the challenge to sort of work out how like in a wedding situation, for example, or when there's been an engagement or a baby or something's happened that, that, you know, could be triggering, you know, how do I ask, how do I raise that without it being, worse for you but also it may be worse for you if i don't raise it so like where's that if i'm awkward when i raise it then we're all gonna feel awkward and yeah one of my favorite things that i like a previous boss i worked with he was he was the king of awkward he said and um, self-confessed but he would often actually start that conversation with this is a bit awkward i don't know how to do this and it's like cool let's jump into the awkward and let's work this out i think sometimes we're we're so busy trying to work out the sanitized way to do it that we do nothing. And I think personally, I'd much rather someone have an awkward conversation with me than not talk to me. Mm -hmm. So, and I'd I'd rather have the chance to say, actually, no, that wasn't a big deal for me than it be a big deal and no one acknowledge it. So I think our risk should always be on that side of the ledger. We should always um, risk getting it wrong rather than the risk of doing nothing. I think um, the doing nothing is in the long term is more hurtful in the moment a single person could react just as strongly to either of those but in the long term doing nothing is the one that's going to plague you in your in your loneliness because i'm lonely and no one has met me here whereas it now i'm lonely but there was that time when someone awkwardly tried to express empathy or sympathy yeah, yep. for me you know and i think at least if it's an awkward conversation and and the single person says oh well, that's actually not an issue for me because yep. of these reasons yeah you're actually learning yeah. oh okay so yeah. now i i'm learning yeah um, how to be more appropriate to interact better to care better for single people so yeah. it's a win-win it's empowering you know? for me too because mm. i could say actually no i'm i'm okay like yeah, you thank yep. you for sort of pointing out how okay i am about that yeah, you know good. that it, it can be Again, this is with a, a level of self-awareness that you're processing these things out. But, mm. um, but yeah, it can be good for both the, the person who's learning and the, the single person as well. Yeah, so there's grace on both sides mm. required at different <laughs> times. And luckily it's at the, at the centre of Christianity, isn't yeah. that grace? So if we express core. that well, <laughs> yes. um, we'll navigate Lots of any opportunities issue. to practice that yeah, in this yeah. situation. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, forgiveness and yeah, repentance and all right. of those things. So, so that's really good. So when we spoke in the precast conversation, you were talking a little bit about the word waiting and I think it's a common word that's used. Oh, so you, I'm just waiting or you're waiting for someone or whatever. And you're talking about how you find that language unhelpful and I probably hadn't thought about it like that before so do you want to tell us a little bit what frustrates you about that language and why is it not helpful yeah and 
not everybody means it in this way, but for me, when I hear waiting, it triggers the idea of, um, well, essentially like a waiting room at the doctor's. Like, and if you think about that, it's, there's nothing good about that room. You know, there's, um, magazines that are 15 years old and, (laughs) and you're sitting there with, you're doing nothing, you know, it's, it's wasted time. It's stagnant time. And, um, you know, it's only negative because the only thing that's possible is you're going to contract some other germ from someone else who's in the waiting room as well you know (laughs) you don't want to be there do you You don't want to be there you're there because you're sick you know and like all those there's sort of nothing positive about it so yeah so there's a bit of a filter that i put over that phrase but i think um i i kind of speak against it because i think it's an unhelpful thing to encourage or even posture people towards the idea that that um, you're somehow un- on hold until um, because waiting implies a just like just hang, 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 you know, do nothing, do nothing, do nothing. Yeah. And then when you get married, then you can do something, you know. And so if you flip that around to more practical things, it's people who, you know, I've spoken to um, adults who are thinking to buy their own home, but they're, they're waiting because I'll wait to do that until I'm married, you know, that's a married people thing to do. And I don't want to have locked myself in here in case this happens. And there's all this sort of trying to work out what's coming or um, I'm waiting to to serve in ministry or mission, even overseas mission, because that's a mar- married people do that, you know, but, and so it can be a, a phrase that um, gives permission to, or even encourages that sort of putting off of stuff. And I think that's not the posture we're meant to have. I mean, in the definition of waiting, there is this sense of preparation. And I think that's true too, but also we're not just being prepared. Single people are not just being prepared for marriage. We're just being prepared for whatever's next. And so even in that, when we're kind of like, oh, while you're waiting, you can get ready to be married. And so that when you get married, you can, you know, or I could just be a better person for life, you know, like just because it's good to be better, you know, not because it would be good to be better in marriage, though that is true. And it may be the place that that gets to be expressed. But if I never get married, improving myself and learning and growing and being open to God and all that sort of stuff is still a good idea, you know. And so because if we use this language of waiting, I think it just feels like we're apportioning something so important to that that it negatively changes what we do in the interim if it indeed is an interim because that might not even be. The, The end destination. Yeah. Yeah. So I think instead of waiting, you just get on with living. And I think, you know, I think about it in the Christian faith um, in a similar sort of way, like we're waiting for heaven, you know, we're yeah. looking forward to the day when yeah. Jesus returns, it's new heaven, new earth, all that. Yeah. And I think a lot of Christians, you know, they give their life to Jesus back here yeah. and then they're just waiting. <laughs> Hanging <now>. on. <laughs> and, no, no, he- heaven is our end goal, yeah. but we're not meant to wait for it. Yeah. We're meant to live Into for it, Jesus live in the meantime. And mm. marriage is not heaven, Yeah, you know, it's, yeah. a, it's a milestone that a lot of people enjoy, but it's yeah. not heaven. And yeah. so it's not the yeah. ultimate goal of everything. That's you know, right. Sort of things happening. And so you're saying that you just got to keep living, keep serving and you grow as a person. And if that ends up in marriage, that's great. If it doesn't, well, then you've lived a fruitful life and you'll yeah. be Yeah. And I think <laughs> I feel like, exactly. And I, I feel like the only time I've heard the word waiting is like in a really condescending tone, you know, it's kind of yeah. like, oh, she's just waiting, you know, like it has this sort of vibe about it. That's like, Mm. a bit of a pat on the head um, and so I mean I know some people can probably talk about it in themselves in a healthier way but I I think just collectively it perpetuates an unhelpful narrative that Mm. that your anything pre-marriage is just a is a preparation for marriage whereas it actually is its own 
season. And if we extrapolate that out, particularly into the church space, when you think about what we talk into speaking to teenagers, you know, nearly every youth group does a relationship and sexuality, you know, series at some point where they you know, talk about the taboo topics of, of those things. But nearly all of that is oriented around waiting for or being ready for or prepared for marriage. And mm. it may be that everyone in that room needs that preparation, but it may also be that that length of time between when they're getting this talk and when they actually get married, like, could be more than six months, you know. So what are we going to do with all that time? And so how do and how do we help a, a young person or any person live single? Like there's some challenges to doing, you know, singleness well in terms of intimacy and and how we relate and our sexuality and all of those things. And I think we set our young people up for a lot of um, pressure or hurt or heartache or even failure. We're not setting them up to win when we are preparing them for marriage rather than helping them live their current season mm. in and of itself, because it's a season that has value and there's something in there God wants to do in you and through you and for you and because of you. And let's just embrace that mm. now. Yeah. I think there's something powerful about embracing the season you're in, isn't there? For everyone. Because, yeah. Yeah. Even married couples, yeah. you know, they get married and they're waiting for retirement. Yeah. And so I'll serve, I'll give yeah. more, I'll serve yeah. more, I'll do more once yeah. I'm retired. And then yeah. they drop dead five years before yeah. they retire. You yeah. know, and so you've done all this waiting, and you haven't done the living, and so. Or even with parenting, we we hear that kind of like, oh, when the kids are, you know, when they can dress themselves, when they can this, when yeah. they can that, we're all when sort we're of pushing, yeah, yeah, pushing back to this next season, as if there's something miraculous contained there that we can't access here, yeah. you know. Whereas, um, and and it may be true, you know, because every season has its own expression, its own gift, and its own fruitfulness and challenges and all those things. But I think it's the attitude that that language. Um, perpetuates or encourages, which is that we miss this because we're looking there. Mm. We need to be fully here as well as preparing for whatever else might be on the horizon. So today is the day the Lord has made. We rejoice and be glad in it. And I think it's probably a good way to approach life, isn't it? In whatever season you're in, in whatever circumstance. So no, that's really helpful to think about it that way, I think. And, And for people on the other side of the coin who are in relationships to think about that language they use and whether it's helpful, whether it is condescending with Mm. the tone and um, sort of smash some of that ignorance and and start thinking a little bit more. So you were saying before that churches, um, they're meant to be family and Mm -hmm. um, we're meant to be the best expression of Mm. the family of God. People should come and say, wow, the love and the interaction, everyone Mm. belongs here. Um, What are some of the things you think churches can do better? I mean, you were on staff at a Mm. church when you were processing a lot of this stuff. So I'm sure in that journey there would have been a lot of eye-opening moments for you and for the church. Mm. And so what were some of the things that came from that in terms of, you know, language, practice, um, all that sort of stuff? Yeah, it's good. Um, I think language is a really key part of it because we, again, we speak through our own lens, you know, our own language. And so assumptions we make about who's present in the room, a classic one, a um, someone shared with me one time is that at her church they do during the Sunday service they do a kids talk and then they release the kids out to kids ministry and just constantly whoever's at, um, behind the microphone will say, okay, now while the kids are doing that, parents, let's all turn around and say hello to each other. Well, that's the assumption that every adult there is a parent of someone, if not those children, but you've just inadvertently excluded people from or, or you've made it seem like you don't know they're there. I mean, the personal example in that is the the women's ministry space we and people who lead women's ministry 
often are very oblivious to this and I know they don't do it in, intentionally, but often the introductory part of a women's ministry conference is, okay, ladies, you've got the kids sorted. Hubby's not here. He's doing his own thing. It's all about you today. Let's just press into, you know, that sort of thing. And, you know, 85% of the room might be wives and mothers and they're like, yeah, you know, kind of ready to go. But in that moment, I'm sitting there thinking, oh, you don't know I'm here. Well, like, I mean, yeah, because <laughs> I'm neither of those things. Now I can do the work to translate. It's not like the rest of it is in an, a language I don't understand because I'm not married or, or a mother, but I have to keep translating. I have to keep saying, okay, like to do what she's saying, if I'm not a mother, I would do this. You know, I'm having to do the work all the time to, and as I say, it's a translation, which kind of makes me feel other. Like, and so, um, and it also sets me up in a place where I'm sort of feeling like they don't know I'm here. Like they're not ready for me. Like any minute now we're all going to have to stand up and say, you know, in order of how old our kids are or something. And I'm not going to, you know, like, it just feels like this could go anywhere. I'm very unsafe because you, you haven't acknowledged that I'm present in the room. And I think we do that a lot with our language. Okay. Parents are okay. You know, husbands and wives, we're going to just casual language we use, or even in a, a preaching sense, you know what it's like when your husband, da, 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 da. it's like, well, not everybody knows what that's like yeah, because not yeah. everybody has a husband. So, but that illustration might be perfect. So it's not to not use the illustration, but mm. those with husbands might know, or though, you know, mm. this, here's an example from marriage where you're actually acknowledging, I'm drawing something out of a, of a one set of experiences here as an illustration of what I'm going to do. You know, Would it be helpful in that sort of situation for a preacher to say, if you haven't been married before, it could be a bit like this. Would that be helpful or would that feel? Yeah, I, th- I think there's a, um, that's like balancing on that sort of knife edge of tone and all that mm. sort of thing because it's not like, oh, single people, you let me tell you what it's like to yeah. be married. You don't want to have, I mean, that's not what you just said, yep. but you don't want to have that kind of vibe coming off it. Mm. I feel like it's more important that just at some point throughout your the breadth of your story, everybody would get covered, you know. So you, here's an illustration from marriage, but here's an illustration from working because not everybody here works. Like, mm. say, but we don't say that. Like, oh, those of you who haven't had a job, you might not know what this is like, you know. <laughs> like, or um, here's an illustration from I'm a triathlete, triathlete, you know. I'm not. This is an illustration. <laughs> um, you know, um, but we don't say, oh, those of you who don't, like we don't feel the yeah, need to yep. say the other, but what we do make sure is we don't say, because we're all triathletes, like we, we're yeah, yeah. well aware that not everybody in the room is triathlete. Mm-hmm. And I think the thing with singleness is it's just that awareness piece. And as I said, it's that part where most leadership is married and so they haven't stopped to think that not most people in and, – and if you say it to them, they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I know that not everybody's married. Like it, you're not ignorant to the fact that some people don't get married, but it's just your filter – and it's not up in that sort of realm of, um, of being a little bit more cognitive and, and more intentional about the language that you're choosing around that. Yeah. You know? So let's break it down and get really practical. Yep. You're a married person yep. and you're leading a women's conference. Yep. How would you introduce it? Hello, ladies. Welcome to the women's conference. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Now, right, if you're listening, yeah, write that yeah. down. That's right. If you are a lady, you are in the right place. If you are female... You're in the right space. I think, I mean. They all leave now. Yeah. yeah. I, I remember um, being in a in an, another, like as a women in leadership sort of conference thing and, and they started just by saying like um, some of you will be 
wives. Some of you will be mothers. You know, some of you will be working, some of you will be students, but what we're talking to today is you the leader. You know, and they just sort of clarified that what we're united around today is the fact that we're leaders, not that we're in a similar life stage or, or whatever. And I think that that's great because mm. then I mean in, in that introduction, I was like, she knows I'm here. Yeah, <laughs> like good. I'm Pen ready. I'm listening. Yeah, it's Keep not talking a marriage to seminar. me. It's not a how do you yeah. raise your kids? Yeah. Because I have done that. I've been thing. to a women in leadership conference. This yep. is like 15 years ago, and they had a panel, and every woman on the panel talked about how they released their husband into leadership. You know, I was like, yep. that's not even a women in leadership yeah. uh, conference. This is a men in leadership, and the women who live with them kind yeah. of thing. Like, <laughs> yeah. it's yeah. not as catchy as a title for a no, conference, but but it it's, again, it's just that sort of sense of am I in the wrong room like am I in the wrong place so I, I think um we often put unnecessary barriers in there in terms of we don't have to speak to everything that it's not but we want to speak to what it is you know so in that as I say women's women you're here you've done what I mean I say it myself as a single person I'm like you've done whatever you need to be here some of you have had to take the day off work some of you have had to um you know rearrange your, your schedule with people you some of you might have kids that you've had to look after you know I'm acknowledging it's not that we can't mention the fact that some are mums and wives but it's that's not the only thing you are. And so that's it's just being natural and rather than being awkward about yeah. stuff and acknowledging there's people at different stages and seasons of life yeah. and yeah uh, and, yeah, and ensuring that you I think we all of us in every space, whether it's about race or gender or status or everything, we make faux pas constantly. Like we get it wrong without even knowing we're getting it wrong. We we say things that are that are exclusive and we didn't even know they were. So there's enough of those that we don't need to add extra. You know what I mean? Yeah, so for sure. like and so I think that we're gonna get it wrong sometimes, you know, because we just all do. But I think we if if we can be more intentional about getting it right, you know, and and um and not you not wasting a credit where it's not due. You know, so there are times when this is a marriage thing. We're going to talk about marriage, you know, and so there is an exclusion here to single people. But that's not Sunday morning services. So let's not do that there. Let's, you know, save the credit for when it actually is something that is not a suitable place for single people to be, you know, yeah, whatever that not, might There's an opt like. out. Yeah. There might be some single yeah. people they want to go and hear about marriage. Yeah. They'll go, some they just but don't want we're, to. But we're putting that out front. This it's is clear. actually somewhere that you won't be acknowledged in the sense that this is not for you yeah. and that's okay. Yep. This is a parenting seminar. It's okay. We're not going to have to speak to the re- the reality that many people here are infertile or childless or experienced childless, you know, whatever, because we're actually talking about parenting. That's the con you've come for that purpose. But it's when we come to a women's conference Surprise. and we just, yeah, and we discover that it's about <laughs> being a mother that, yep. that, that we've wasted a credit. Like we've used, used a, a language there that, that was unnecessary. You know, we've, we've hurt or wounded or, or, you know, pushed to the margins people that didn't need to be moved. Yep. So uh, in the practical space still, we were talking about you being on staff at Werribee Baptist when you were going through all this. Can you think of any specific things you did as a church that helped kind of embrace single people and make them feel like they were loved and valued and just as much as anyone else in the church? Yeah, I think um, I think the fact that I was on leadership did that mm. um, because I think what it – and not that that's why I was on leadership, but essentially it was clear that lead, that single people have a place in our leadership, you know, they, there's no limit here to what you could do if you were um, unmarried, because here our associate pastor is a single person. So some of the optics of that actually um, 
I think were quite significant without us even re- intentionally doing that. Um, and I think too then um, the single people in in my congregation, you know, or in the places that I've been, they ha- they feel like they have a voice because I'm speaking as one of them, you know, in that. Um, and I think we we can be a bit conscious about that in other other spheres, we, we often, uh, you know, let's be mindful to make sure we've got a female who speaks into this or let's be sure that we've got an, a senior person who speaks into this. Like Different maybe, cultures. Yeah, yep. maybe there's a, a question to ask, like have we considered somebody who's not married with kids as, mm-hmm. as a, um, not in any tokenistic sort of way, but just that that's a question we're asking. Are we representing those that demographic in our, in our leadership? Because I think what happened in our congregation was um, – I mean, I, I led the generations ministry. So I was in charge of parents and families and, you know, like this was my area. But um, and so I, th- I think in doing that, I uniquely showed that we are entirely for families and all of those expressions and single people because I was embodying both, you know, at the same time. So that's not everybody's. Every church can't have that. <laughs> like, yep. Yep. Um, and and so I, I recognize that challenge. But I, I do think that it's language and if and it's recognizing your own bias. So if you look around the table and you realize all of us are married and we're making a decision here, um, has anyone asked how does this affect single people? Like is this a thing that might affect single people differently? Like is that on our list of um of the lenses, you know, that we put over that because often we, we'll sit around a table and, okay, we realise we're all over the age of 65 here. Let's ask a question about what this would mean for someone who's younger. You know, we we, we can be good at asking the question outside our own demographic. Yeah. I think we just need to put singleness on a, on the list. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think too that that, that is fueled by having a much better sense of who the single people in your church really are. The number of times I'll say I talk about singleness or in churches and I'm, you know, oh, I don't think we have any single people at my church. And my question always is, don't you have the row of like single older ladies? Like I feel like every church has a row of single older ladies. And they say, oh, yeah, but they hadn't processed. I think they were in the old category, yeah. not in the single category. <laughs> yeah, okay. And they, they just hadn't processed that 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 was part of the demographic of their church or, you know, the number of people where you do speak into this and they suddenly kind of look around and go, oh, yeah, like mm-hmm. we have got single people here. So even just that as, as a church, you know, being realistic about the audit of who's in your in your room um, and helping people see that diversity, you know, adding it to that list, oh, we're a diverse church, we've got lots of people here from different countries, we've got people here, of, you know, um, who are different ages, we've got people here in different life stages, you know, that we're acknowledging that as as part of the diversity story that our church is telling. Yeah, no, that's really good. It's a good thing for us to learn as churches, I think, and make sure that people in that situation are embraced. So I think recently you wrote a blog called Why Your Single Friends Need You More Than uh, You, you need, need Them. Is that right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So your single so. friends may need you more than you need them. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, so yeah or something like that. Tell us a little yeah. bit about that. Yeah, well, I think the the reality of um, the single experience is that between singles and marriage, there's a relational imbalance. So um, my friend Nancy, she helped us, we were kind of chatting this out because she's married with a child and we were, I, I was having dinner with her and I'm, I just made the observation that like basically I need this interaction more than she did yeah. because, you know, she'd come from like she was having a great time because she'd like 
grandma had the child and, yeah. you know, she, and <laughs> yep. then she was going to go home to husband being there, you know, those sorts of things and recognising that in that one day she was the only person that I was going to be spending time with. Mm-hmm. And so we talked about it in this sense of relational tank and where as a married mother she has this sort of – she never goes to empty. <laughs> She's always at this sort of semi, you know, half whatever filled place because there's a – just in that natural incidental kind of way, um, you know, waking up next to her husband, doing the morning routine with her daughter, you know, even if it's not particularly exciting relational stuff, there's a – and even to the extreme of if there's a, a fight or tension or whatever, that's actually relationship that's happening in that moment, even if it's not positive relationship. Um, and But for a single person, um, they start from empty. So when I show up at work or at church, the interactions I have with the people that I meet there, that could be the very first human contact I've had for the day. Well, so that makes a very different type of need that I have for that space than others who are married and in families might have. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, the blog was just an interesting acknowledgement and it was one of those things where I had so many people say, oh, yes, this is what I've been feeling. This, you know, it puts words or expression to what I've understood because in that moment um, or in that the way that that plays out, I've, single people say, I actually do feel needy. Like yeah. I feel like I'm a bit of a, a parasite, <laughs> like I'm a bit of a leech, you know, just like, don't leave me, I come back, I need people, you know, um, because I genuinely need you. And it does put single people in a place of vulnerability and also in a place of um, needing to risk a lot more. So if I call up you and say, hey, do you want to go for a coffee? You're like, eh, I don't know. Like your yes or no could be a bit more life and death for me, yeah, particularly yeah. as an extroverted person, yeah. um, than it might be for you. Because for you, you know, you've, it's a, in the middle of a day of family or something. And so it's it's just a recognition. It, there's nothing really to be done for it. In ter- it's, it's the reality. Mm. But the, I think the recognition of that can help us be a lot more sensitive um, as married family people to be aware of that need in their single friends, mm-hmm. but also for single people to recognise that there's a lot of risk involved in that. There, there is a vulnerability that's necessary, but that's yeah. possibly why it feels a little exhausting and it feels so sort of risky, you know, to, to have to put yourself out there into those relational places. Yeah, so I think sometimes we're, you know, whether you're married or have a partner or you don't, sometimes mm. we can fail to appreciate what we do have. And so you often hear parents saying, oh, I just got rid of the kids for yeah, the day yeah. and oh, I finally cleaned the house and whatever. But for a single person, you know, it'd be actually a lovely thing to come home and things are out of place yeah. and there's toys on the ground <laughs> and whatever. So I guess just learning to appreciate the season you're in and um, and to be sensitive to others who aren't in that season is, is a really important thing to learn. Yeah, it's and it's so true because the things that I wish for or miss or long for, I think most married parents would be like, oh, really? That's the worst part, you know, yep. that, um, that as you say, things are exactly as you left them, which is, you know, nice if you're a neat freak or if you're like, you know, it's <laughs> nice if you're managing a display home, yep. but it means there's no sign of life other mm. than the life that I'm injecting into that place you know yeah, or yeah. um the yeah it's it is a, a challenge because i think i, I read a, a phrase one time that says you know what you take for granted someone else is praying for mm. and it is often the case that everything that we have we kind of say the grass is greener but it, it is that sense that there's something over there that's not in my life that i miss and singles do it to marries and marries do it to singles you know the people have said to, oh you make me wish i was single again you know it's like oh, really no um you know or and i think often the things that 
um, married people perceive as the best part of singleness are because it's it's a just a different experience than what they experience. You know, mm. it'd be so great to have the whole bed to myself, you know, like because I'm so used to having to fight for the doona or whatever it is. Yeah. Whereas a single person is like, gee, I'd like to be able to snuggle in with somebody yeah. at night. And yeah, so it's the exact, sure. you know, we're looking at it the same thing from either side, but because our experience is not that where we're thinking the other might be a slightly better, but, yep. um, but I think there's a, a, an encouragement both ways in that for us then to like for singles and marrieds, as we hear that in each other to maybe appreciate more of our own circumstances, you said to sort of like, actually it isn't too bad to have a bed, but I can, I can see why this is a good idea, you know, and rather than wishing that away every day, because then, you know, the first night of, you know, sharing a bed, you're like, Oh, yeah. <laughs> <For sure>. really <laughs> yeah are you are you going now like when do i get to starfish <laughs> oh, you know? yeah. we had a friend drop in unexpectedly last night and the first thing i said oh excuse the mess because it was coloring sheets out and toys on the ground and whatever but i think if i think about that you know if it wasn't like that i'd probably miss it because yeah. it's a sign of life and and so i think yeah just appreciating that and and um, a step further, if if that's a single person who's dropping into your mess, mm. that's actually a gift that you're giving them to experience yeah, that mess. Like yeah. that, you know, the noise of family, that just that kind of, oh, we're just having, you know, spaghetti on toast tonight because, you know, we're all a bit busy. Like that's that's an incredible gift that families give to single people because we can't generate that kind of activity and that normal experience on our own. Yeah. And often if we do have people in our home it's like, come on Tuesday at 7.30 and I'll set the table with grandma's china. And, you know, like it's sort of these because they're moments that have to be orchestrated and we single people, well, I know for me, I, I just crave that ordinary, you know, just the hanging out in your jammers and your slippers or, you know, um, yelling at the TV, you know, for something like in – you got that wrong or, you know, whatever, the <laughs> MasterChef judges or, or something or um, or that sort of in and out of – Someone's got to go to volleyball practice and someone's got to practice their recorder in the back room, you know, all those sorts of things. That And I, I share this a lot in churches and, and families are encouraged to know that that craziness of their life could actually be one of the best offerings they can make to a single person who's yeah. in their world. Yeah, I don't mm. think I've ever thought about it like that. Uh. So, no, that's really helpful. So um, just to finish up, there's likely to be a lot of single people listening to this. Yeah considering the title is probably going to be something about singleness. Yeah, something um, catchy. Yeah, so we've talked a little bit about this, but for those who are single and would like to be in a relationship, what would you say to them in this season of singleness? Well, I think um, it's okay to to have that desire. I think that's first and foremost. It's okay to, to want that because I think that's how we're made. We're made to desire intimate relationship. We're wired for it. Um, and I, I think it's, we don't have to like die to it as, um, we just have to work out a way to, to live in it. So I think that's a, that's the first thing. It's okay to want that. But I think then the caution in that is twofold. The first is making sure that it doesn't become all consuming because we're not like, you know, God talks about us presenting the desires of our hearts to him. He wants to hear that, but not that that would be the only thing that we're on, you know, that we just become solely focused on that desire, but that we're submitting it before him and we're letting him speak into it. And so bring that and own that, but don't let it consume you. And and then I think too, we, we just want to be... Um, mindful that in that um, period of still sort of holding that need out or that desire out that we're managing our 
aloneness well, you know, because we're at great risk in terms of how we how we do or don't manage our, our need for intimacy, you know, in terms of how that expresses itself sexually and, and you know, physically and all of those things. Um, we're not robots and, and there's not this switch that gets flicked when you're married. We're, mm. Like we're all the, exactly the same in our need for love. So if you are not in a, if you are single and you are desiring that, recognize that it actually positions you to be very vulnerable to bad choices mm. because if we don't manage our need for intimacy it'll manage us mm. because it won't be satiated it won't be just I mean it won't be ignored it has to be satiated you know that um so I think there's a an encouragement to to be mindful of ourselves you know in every season but also to, to do that to hold out the that need to God and and be okay to feel that and ask for that and seek that without it becoming consuming. Mm. Oh, very good. Great advice. So I usually finish with some quick fire questions. Okay. I've got three for you. Ready? Favourite or most helpful book that you've read on leadership? Oh, I don't do favourites very well, but uh, probably anything by Patrick Lencioni, I reckon. The um, Five Dysfunctions of Team would probably be one of my faves, but then his more recent work on the ideal team player and he's just about to release something about the motivation of a leader. Okay. Yeah, he's got some good gear. Yeah, and mm. he does The Advantage as well, which is yep. a good book as well. Yeah, yep. he's got a, a whole catalogue of them. They're great. Yeah. Lanzioni, <laughs> Anything by Patrick Lanzioni. Yeah. <laughs> and good. any blogs and all the things that you can get from him. Yeah. Okay. One bit of advice you've received that you've never forgotten? In the leadership space, I think it would be that everything works better in God's timing, which sounds really kind of duh. But in a leadership space, if we're forcing anything, it's always going to be harder than if we're following God into something. Absolutely true. Number three, if you could use just one word to describe leadership, what would it be? Privilege. Privilege. The privilege of it, the weight of that privilege. Yeah, privilege. It was the first time someone said that. So that's really yeah, good. That's a go. great word. Excellent. Kim, I've really enjoyed our chat. Yeah, it's been great. Really appreciate your time. Um, as I let you go, where is some where somewhere that people can find more about Kimberly Smith, some of the stuff on what you've talked about today? Yeah, well, I do run a blog. It's called KimberlySmith.org. Okay. Um, yep. So you can check out there. And that's some links to podcasts and the book and other things that, that I write and speak into. So that's probably the best port of contact. Awesome. So KimberlySmith.org. Org. Excellent. Thank you so much for your time. Pleasure. Thanks for listening to the As One Leadership Podcast, getting you in the room with experienced leaders so you can grow and thrive in leadership. This podcast is hosted by Luke Williams and brought to you by Follow Baptist Church. If you're listening to this podcast, please subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. Your feedback will help us grow further and bring new insightful content to you. For those watching on YouTube, Please like this video, leave a comment, and subscribe to the Follow Church channel. Ultimately, if you found this episode valuable, please share it with others who can also benefit from it. We can't wait to share more experiences and knowledge in our next episode, From Melbourne to the World.